The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Meta Meltdown, that's front and center today. It's down more than 30% since earnings, and now we find another investment committee member is selling that beleaguered stock. We'll debate the road ahead for that and the markets. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We'll take you to the markets first, show you where we're at, 12 noon. On the East Coast, 313, Dow Jones Industrial Average is good for a little less than 1%. S&P, NASDAQ also green, 10-year note yield creeping towards 2%, 1.96. That's where we currently sit, and we're going to kick off, uh, we're going to get to all of that, obviously. We're going to kick it off with the meta mauling, though. Jason Snipe, yet the latest investment committee member to bail on that stock. He's owned it for four years, no more. Just gave up on it now, Jason? Yeah, this is a tough one, man, to unload. Obviously, it's a painful, painful week, uh, you know, what we saw last week. So, yeah, we've owned it since January of 2018, roughly in the 180s. You know, big miss on the MAUs, miss on the DAUs. For me, this is a big-time engagement story. So almost 100% of their revenue is coming from advertisements. Yes, it was up 20% year over year, but the guidance wasn't great. You know, so for us, and also thinking about uh, the increased competition from other social media companies. So we had to unload it here and take the money elsewhere. Yeah, 180s, so, you know, 40 bucks uh, below where we're at. Um, now it's, it's an interesting move. Um, it says a lot about where I guess you think that this stock may go in, in the near term, sub 200. Pete, then I come to find out that you bought some Facebook February 235 puts today. Tell me about right. it. Yeah. So I decided, Scott, that I wasn't really ready to bail on the stock. I know it's been a bad quarter, and and Jason just did a great job of of giving the analysis of exactly what they did, which was not very good. And as a matter of fact, their focus is gone. They are not the Facebook they've been in previous quarters where they've absolutely crushed it. And we're talking about for years. I still have a chunk from when I got the stock on the IPO, Scott. So that gives you a little bit of an idea how long I've been riding on this horse. But The last week or so has not been good. It's been really, really brutal. And I made the decision. It was already gapped down, right? So it's been in this range, call it 220 to 235, uh, more closer to 220 than 235. But I decided to buy some puts. And the reason I did that was that at least gives me a stop out. That gives me basically an insurance policy. If it continues to go lower, I can sell it at that price. And, And obviously there is premiums involved and everything else. But that gives me at least the opportunity to hold on for a little while and see if there's any chance at all that this is a company that can turn itself around. Obviously, the quarter was terrible. I think they lost their focus. All the money being spent on Meta, 
that was the problem, I think, with the quarter because not only did they focus on Meta by putting all their money there, but then they were losing, obviously, to YouTube and to TikTok and all of Snap and everybody else. And we saw the Snap earnings were outstanding. So this gives me a little bit of time to kind of watch things, see if I see any reason to still stay there. Um, and if not, I can just exercise those puts and be gone. That's amazing to me, right? I mean, it was Weiss yesterday. It's Snipe today. Pete's got puts. I mean, the amount of money, the number of people who are flooding away from one of the most widely held, believed in stocks over the last many years is just astounding. Uh, someone you're not going to hear throwing in the towel today is Stephanie Link up in the upper left corner. I recall the conversation that we had not that long ago. What was it? January 11th, about a month. Stephanie and Josh debating the trajectories of Google versus Facebook. Remember, Steph said she was selling Google to buy more Facebook, saw more upside in Meta. Let's remember that conversation. We can discuss on the other side. I'll come back to this name if it's at 2,500, 2,200, 2,000, but I'm not going to chase it to 3,000 because I think there's Steph, more upside. P ratio, P ratio in, in 27, 27 times, 40% revenue growth, 27 I, times earnings. You're going to tell me Meta is a better deal? I didn't deal? say anything about the valuation. I didn't say anything about the valuation, Josh. In fact, if you listened, I said 24 times earnings is not expensive. I just think this is a relative, this is a relative game that I'm playing in terms of investing relative to my benchmark. It's only 2% of my benchmark. Facebook is bigger. Facebook actually, I think, has more upside. And it is much more controversial. And that's when you make money. And so I'm trying to buy low and I'm trying to sell high. And I think that I'm going to be justified in that. I'm not going to pay up three to so, three thousand dollars for, for Alphabet. I can promise you that. All right, Steph. Um, I don't know. As they say, the tape don't lie. Uh, what do we well, give me your frame of mind now after having such conviction that you were making the right move a month ago, betting bigger on Meta and dropping Google? Where are you today? Well, I, I sold Google because I was up 65 percent last year. We all were. So I thought it was prudent to take the gains. They did have a good quarter, not a great quarter, in my opinion. And I think the reason the stock rallied is because of the split on Facebook. Totally wrong. I'm going to call it what it is. Totally wrong. But I don't think the story is dead. It may be the stock may be dead for a quarter or two, but I'm a long term investor and I'm trying to find some value. There is a lot of uncertainty right now with Facebook. There's no question about it. That's why the stock fell as much as it did. It surprised everybody. But let's just like kind of step back for a minute. They have a game plan with reels. It exists. It actually did quite well in the quarter with reels. It just doesn't, it has a lower monetization rate, right? So they have pivoted before in the past uh, with mobile, uh, mobile feed and also stories. Stories actually took them about six to nine months to monetize. So that's why I say perhaps maybe this reels transition will take about a quarter or two. Maybe it'll take longer, but they're there. They're already there. It's not like they have to start from scratch. That's number one. Number two, they have 10 million advertisers. Maybe they lose a few. Maybe they lose a bunch. But 10 million is a lot. They have scale. And DAUs and MAUs were still up year over year both, right? You've got 2 billion in DAUs. You've got 3 billion in MAUs. That's also size and scale. Okay, if that pulls back, we'll have to monitor that. But I think there, you're going to still, at least at the very least, you'll see that maybe it just st uh, stabilizes. Uh, the ROIs for digital are still very, very compelling. 
against any traditional advertiser and mm-hmm. advertising, and I don't think that's going away. And last but not least, they got a, a boatload of free cash flow, $38 billion. Uh, so I, I think that, yeah, it's disappointing, but it's, if I liked it at 20 times forward estimates for 20% total revenue growth, I got to like it at 16 times and the stock down substantially more. Well, th- that's where I was going next as we see the stock is sliding a little bit as we're having this conversation and, and the revelation here that, that another person on the committee has now sold all of their Facebook holdings. And I would suggest if you liked it at 20 whatever times and now it's at 18 times forward, why aren't you buying more of it? 16 I'm waiting for the dust to settle. I will. But I just said it's probably a quarter or two of probably dead money. Um, And I hope that's not the case. But that's kind of the way I think about it. And and I have time. Josh Brown, I know you have your eye on it in terms of sub 200. It would get interesting. Is that where you still are today? Yeah, so I, I would buy it for a trade if it if it really gets washed out. I mean, I know it's washed out already. I would buy it for a trade sub 200. I do not like the intermediate term outlook while they build the next platform, which is Meta, which, by the way, they have a good shot at building something really great. But they're talking about a 10 year time horizon. That's them. That's not me. So I think that could work, but I don't have 10 years to to hope. And I think I would get it cheaper. But from a trading perspective, maybe there's enough damage done sub 200. And I don't take any pleasure in telling you what I'm about to say. Um, but I really don't think that this stock can recover uh, back to where it was uh, for a very long time. And there are a couple of reasons for that. The first is they have never taken on a competitor as big as TikTok. And big, I mean by users and mind share and market share. They, they've just never had to do it. You have to go back to 2008 when they're fighting MySpace to ever see Facebook in this position where they're not the incumbent, right? Like when they, when they fought Snap, and some would argue when they beat Snap up, they were so much bigger and had so many more resources, and they were already the gorilla. They're not the gorilla with Reels. And they keep emphasizing that Reels is the future, the next big advertising platform. Okay, maybe, but not yet. And TikTok very much looms large in their minds. They talked about TikTok incessantly on that call. So we haven't seen them fighting um, from a disadvantage in a, in a really long time, not since they've been a public company. That's one. Two, if this was a normal stock in a normal time, Carl Icahn would already be in here giving this kid uh, the business. But he can't because Zuckerberg has 360 million Class B shares, which are the voting shares, and then he controls another 32 million via partnerships with other shareholders. So essentially, he's got all the voting power. Nobody can really do anything about him. If Icon were able to come in here, or any activist for that matter, the smart thing to say would be, okay, the crown jewel here is Instagram, maybe even WhatsApp. Let's break this thing up already. Let's put an immediate end to all of the government stuff all over the world. Let's put an immediate end to all the inquiries and all the antitrust and all the, the, the GDPR stuff in, in Germany. Let's just end it. But they're not going to do that because the kid is an empire builder. And now you have openly uh, economic ministers in Europe saying, we're not letting you transfer data back to North America from Europe anymore. And if you don't like it, you can cease operations in our country. 
That literally, that's what's going on right now. So mm-hmm. it's a very challenging situation as an investor because you don't know which shoe is going to drop next. So normally, a stock this big, a company this successful, there would be a real bounce at this point. But it's not normal. There are very many abnormal problems here, and I just don't see those clouds dissipating in the near future, so, which is why I'm not racing in with my wallet open. Yeah. I mean, we're at the lows of the day on Meta. Um, Steph, I just come back to you. I mean, you use the, the words, I think, you know, it, it's, it's not dead, right? Um, but it's certainly different. It may be different going forward. I said and it's it, not it, down. Or no, I, you said not down yeah. and out. I said not, it was not, down, not, but not down, but not out. Down and out. Um, okay, so it's not out. But it's certainly different, right? The story may, in fact, be different moving forward. You may not be able to hang your hat so easily as you could in the past. I'll give you the last word, and then we're going to move. I'm just going by the, the past. They've pivoted before. It's taken time to be successful in those pivots. I think Reels is the real deal. And I think that they still have size and scale in their, in their traditional business. And, oh, by the way, they have $50 billion of, of, in, in a buyback. And that hopefully will add to some support. They bought $20 billion last quarter. They're going to buy back more. And I just believe that they, they still offer, in terms of ROI, they still offer an attractive uh, situation for advertisers. Um, and, I, and I don't believe, I just don't believe, down 33% that this stock can't recover. And I'm not saying it's in the near term, but I'm, I'm, I'm a longer-term investor. I'm not going to wait 10 years, but I don't think I have to. You know, Pete, um, it does make me think of the market at large when you can have a stock so widely held and so big as a Facebook go down 30% in a week. It shows you the fragility of the market that we've been treading on of late. And I just wonder where that story overall is going to go as I see a 10-year marching towards 2%, 195, 196 Mm -hmm. today. I'm wondering how you're you're thinking about that. And then I'm going to bring up a note that really got our attention today from down on Wall Street that adds to this conversation. But go ahead, Pete. Well, you know, when you're when we talk about the 10 year, Scott, we've been we've been talking about this for a long time. It's been making this move to the upside and it's been a pretty decent the, in terms of the velocity. It's been there. Right. I mean, this move has been pretty quick. Nobody really realizes that outside of a lot of us that stare at the markets each and every day, because a lot of folks just look at it and say, oh, it didn't go that much. Actually, it has. And it's moved significantly to the upside. And that has been beneficial to certain parts of the market. Obviously, look over at the financials. Overall, we're seeing the financials react pretty nicely each and every day. But there's also all of the uh, the fallout of that. So. That's why we're seeing the volatility that we're seeing. It's why we see the occasional spikes that we're seeing. And how about the intraday volatility and the moves that we are seeing in the market? I mean, honestly, Scott, when you look at the final 30 minutes of of a trading session and you see markets move 300 points, that's not normal. That's certainly something that is we're seeing a lot of the different effects from all of the different catalysts that are part of the market right now, whether that be oil or inflation concerns or whatever it might be. And so that's why I think we're, we're in the kind of crazy markets we're in right now. One last thing about Facebook that does frustrate me, though, Scott, was they took their eye off the prize. And, that, and I think that is part of the reason why they, they deserve to get hit the way they did. But they've got to show us, and Steph and I still owning this stock, they still have to show us that they can pivot 
and give the focus back to where they are. And that's something that we haven't really heard from them yet. And that's kind of why I wanted to buy a little time and see, are you going to refocus or is everything going to go towards Meta? And I think that's part of that conversation. And obviously, that moved the markets all the way across the board. And then we were fortunate enough to have that Amazon earnings that that actually gave us a pretty decent spike. So mm-hmm. um, there's so many different catalysts out there each and every day, Scott. It's incredible. So, Snipe, um, obviously sentiment is negative around Facebook. As it pertains to the overall market, it's been tilted negative. J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic, right? He's trying to come to the rescue again. He says the sentiment is overly bearish. He thinks it'll clear. And he says we expect the market to lift. But then there is Goldman's Jan Hatzius, who I think had the note of the day, where he says, and I quote, and bear with me, it's a little bit lengthy, but I want you to hear it anyway because we think it's important and you need to know about it. The broadening of wage and price pressures across the advanced economies implies that growth needs to slow and financial conditions need to tighten at an earlier stage of the recovery than previously expected. Consistent with this, our core market views are an increase in riskless yields, a widening of investment grade and high yield credit spreads, and a combination of lower expected returns and bigger potential drawdowns in the major developed market equity markets relative to the post-COVID recovery so far. That, to me, Stephanie Link, doesn't sound like a real positive view on where we are, in large part because of where inflation is. And if you need the economy to slow down, the flip side of that, okay, it may bring inflation down or at least keep it from overheating any further. The impact of that is going to be on the stock market because a slowing economy means a slower stock market. Well, it depends on where you think the growth is going. You think we're going back to trend? You think we're going to be in a recession? Well, then sure. I think that then you're going to have some problems. Um, But I think you're going to be able to stay elevated above trend growth, even with rate hikes. Remember, four rate hikes, it just gets you back to normal policy. Okay, fine, if they do five and six and seven, that's because the data is supportive of that they can. And I'm not just saying inflation, right? I mean, we all know about inflation, CPI, PPI, wages. Look at Cisco company, the food services company today had 15% product cost inflation today. I mean, this is crazy. So we know we have inflation, but we also know that data post-Omicron is actually going to get better. And it already is. ISMs and and PMIs, (coughs) initial claims, all the job figures. So my point is, is that the Fed should be acting. They are going to act. I think after they do four, maybe they'll see and they'll be more data dependent. And I've said that a couple of times on the show, because I think that's really the way that that they're going to have to Maybe that's Maybe that's wishful thinking, though, at this point, right? Maybe, maybe that's wishful well, thinking. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But four sounds Nobody like it. Nobody knows, Scott. Four, no four one sounds knows. like it's, it's your base case. Maybe the base case has now moved higher. Four. I mean, you have some estimates going to seven, which may be a little outlandish. Who knows? But maybe it's wishful about, thinking what, at this point. 75 basis points more? Yeah, but you're talking about, okay, so four, the difference between four and seven is 75 basis points, right? So that's not, that's not heroic. Um, that maybe I think the economy, it will have to look at the data, but may, maybe the economy will support that. We'll just have to see. Nobody knows, though. And I think just to kind of throw out seven or eight or ten or four, it's, it's really, um, I, don't, I don't think it's very helpful. I'm just saying that the economy doesn't need emergency policy. And this is what we got. We got emergency policy. They're still buying bonds, by the way, right? So we have emergency policy underway. It's led to inflation, but it also has helped, in addition with fiscal policies, it's also led to above average growth and a recovery that no one really had believed would be as strong as it was. 
Imagine if we didn't have Delta or Omicron, how, how, how fast growth would be. So my point is, let's look at the, um, the entire data set, economic data and inflation and where rates are and where they're going. And I think we can handle it based on what we know today. I hope they can, they can engineer a soft landing. I'm, I'm, spe- I, I'm, I have, I'm skeptical, but we'll have to just wait. Okay. I mean, because in don't the meantime, see- by the way, Scott, in the meantime, in the meantime, the sectors that are working are the sectors that I'm in. And that is cyclicals. That is financials. That is look at reopens. Reopens are on fire the last couple of days. That's where you want to be. And that's why growth has been hurt this year, year to date. That's why the Russell uh, 1000 values outperform the Russell 1000 growth by 900 basis points year to date. Now, I don't know if that's going to continue. If they do slow growth materially, well, then maybe we'll have to think about sectors and where we're allocating. But at, the po- at this point in time, growth managers are getting their, their, their butt kicked. And value managers and, and, and those that have kind of a garpier t- uh, tone and valuation is important and earnings are important. Yeah. That's where you want to be. But you just said that you're skeptical. You use that word. I'm skeptical that they can engineer a soft landing. Frankly, the whole yes, case, the, the whole case that you build suggests that you're anything but skeptical. Well, I, no, I'm skeptical. I think they do for rate increases. And then we see data. And then let's and then let's see how they act. I don't know how they're going to act, but all I know is four data, four rate hikes does not scare me based on the data that I see in the economy. Steph mentioned the financials. We do have some action uh, today from the committee as well. Uh, Jason Snipe, you bought American Express, which Stephanie Link owns, by the way, and you've been looking at it for a while, and now you finally did it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I bought American Express. I mean, obviously, it's it's clearly outperformed the markets up almost 16 percent year to date they had a really stellar quarter uh last quarter really nice print they you know their net revenues were up 30 percent 11 percent above pre-pandemic levels they raised their dividend 21 percent and they're expecting to grow at 18 to 20 percent um over over the long term so really like this name and this is just kind of the, the return story that steph was talking about i think business travel will come back and AXP stands to really benefit, you know, from that type of activity. Pete, you have new Wells Fargo calls. Um, you did buy some more Bank yeah. of America calls, and I know you've liked that for a while, but new mm-hmm. Wells Fargo ones, why? Yeah, well, they, they continue to come in and show us the activity that we're seeing in the options world has been telling us that, hey, look, the financials are in play. And Steph was just talking about the financials as well, and I know she knows Wells Fargo very well. But I'll tell you what, it's just been incredible, Scott, how much we are seeing there. We were talking about the 10-year, this rise in the 10-year. We were not too terribly long ago at 1.5, and here we are pushing towards 2. And you take a look over at Wells Fargo, a lot of activity. That stock is literally pressing up against its 52-week highs. You look at Bank of America, you look at Citi. Across the board, we are seeing a lot of the different financials, especially um, uh, some of these money center banks and so forth, that are really starting to push to the upside. I still want to, I want to be there, Scott, and I don't want to be there just in stock. I want to get that extra fuel that we can get from the options world. So I'm expanding that. Every time I see more and more of this hitting, I'm going to continue to act. And I continue to like that along with energy, which I continue to add to as well. All right. We're going to, Steph, I'm going to come back to you real quick, and then we're going to take a break because I see that you sold Aptiv after a big gain. 
Yeah, well, look, I mean, I'm up 73 percent. I I should have sold it at the beginning of the year because the stock is down 18 percent. But it's still a great, great story long term. Market does not want a stock that's trading at 30 times earnings with inflation problems. So just taking my gains from the long term, I'll revisit it if it pulls back meaningfully from here. All right, let's take that break. Coming up, today's headliner, Avenue Capital's Mark Lazary. We're going to talk the markets. We'll talk interest rates, the Fed, much more. With that man right there, two minutes away. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The parents of a teen who was accused of killing four students during a high school shooting are back in court. James and Jennifer Crumbly had requested a postponement so that they can better prepare, but the judge turned them down. They are charged with involuntary manslaughter. Prosecutors claim that the Crumblies gave their son the gun used in the shooting and failed to intervene when he showed possible signs of mental distress. Johnson & Johnson reportedly paused production of its COVID vaccine last month, even though it's fallen behind on deliveries to many lower-income nations. This according to the New York Times. The Times says that vaccine production is expected to resume within months, but that the halt could reduce potential vaccine supplies by hundreds of millions of doses. And retired Pope Benedict asking for forgiveness for any faults in his handling of clergy sex abuse cases However, he's not admitting any personal or specific wrongdoing. A long-awaited independent report faulted Benedict for his handling of four cases while he was Archbishop of Munich. So we're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Okay, Rahel, I appreciate it. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Let's take another look at the 10-year note yield, marching closer to 2%. As we said, that move higher in rates is benefiting investors like our next guest, Mark Lazary, the chairman and CEO of Avenue Capital, back with us. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you been? I've been all right. Um, all right. Rates have been going up and you have a big smile on your face because you can charge more for your capital, I suppose. No, well, that's exactly what's going on. With higher rates, it means there's less liquidity out there, which is a lot better for us. So it's all going well. Yeah. The landscape, how would you describe it right now? I mean, so much has changed, it seems, in, in terms of risk assets, to say the least, since I last spoke with you. Yeah, it really has changed. It's like the whole, and I apologize for my cold. Um, it's it's a 
huge differential. The, the whole outlook is totally different, um, where now people are nervous about what's happening. Um, and because of that, it's made things for people like me a lot easier. So like on the venture debt side, we're lending money. Um, we're lending money now anywhere between sort of 10, 15 percent, whereas before it was just getting a but it was just getting harder um, because you'd have private equity coming in. Um, everything we're doing is easier today because people need the capital mm-hmm. because they're looking at the world differently. How do you view what, where the Fed is today? I mean, do you have in your own mind what you think will be the number of rate hikes that we're going to see over the next many months, let's say in, in, in this calendar year? What, what you would think is appropriate and how you are sort of figuring out your own investment strategy as a result of gaming that out? I. I think for us, we just know rates are going up. So the higher rates go, the better it is for us. I don't know what the Fed, you know, how high it's going to go. But what I do know is people are nervous about that. And as they're nervous about that, what everybody needs is liquidity. And we provide that liquidity. So I think rates will go up at least three or four times. Um, At least the Fed will do that. And for what we do, that's positive. What seems reasonable on the 10 year, if you want to, if you venture a guess where, you know, we're pushing the door on two at this point on the on the 10 year. What seems reasonable to you? Um, well, reasonable would be three or four. Um, but if that happens, then again, the cost of that capital just keeps going up. So. I think it'll get at least a three. I don't know if it gets to four. I I mentioned earlier on our program these comments today from Jan Hatzius of Goldman Sachs, who I thought put forth some pretty provocative thoughts. And I wanted to revisit it with you, get your thought on it. And I'll read you part of what I read earlier, where he suggests that to get the inflation scenario under control, that, quote, growth needs to slow and financial conditions need to tighten at an earlier stage of the recovery than previously expected. That will cause an increase in riskless yields, a widening of investment grade and high yield credit spreads, and then lower expected returns uh, and, and bigger equity drawdowns. I'm wondering what you think about that first and foremost, and then if you could also tell me how closely you're watching the high yield market. Well, we watch the high yield market pretty closely, but if you think about what he's saying, he he's sort of arguing that to tame inflation, you need slower growth. I actually, I think, you know, my own personal view is you want you want growth, and I think people deal with the inflation with the growth. So I, I think the Fed is trying to find that middle ground, but ultimately this isn't good for equities, right? So whether you're talking about a two percent growth or you're talking about where growth is going to go down more. If everybody's focused on inflation, that's negative for equities. So it's just that's what's going to happen. And I think you're going to find more and more people saying what he said. What, what's the most attractive place right now that, that you're looking for return? Aside from, you know, lending capital uh, to people at a higher rate of return than you otherwise might have been able to, you know, uh, a handful of months ago, for example. What, where's the most attractive place for investors who are watching you right now that they, that they should look? Well, right now, the best place for us is really Asia. And the simple reason why it's Asia is it's just harder uh, for people to get there. Uh, China is slowing down. So there's just less capital available out there. So we can charge more for that capital. But also, there's a number of investments throughout the whole region 
that we can do that are beneficial. I mean, you do you do a lot of business there. I'm curious as to what you make of the zero covid policy that that China has, whether you agree with it and the obvious negative impacts that there would be on any sort of business being done there. Well, the, that policy has made things extremely difficult for companies because people can't go to Asia. You can't do due diligence. You can't do anything. So our big edge is that we already have people on the ground, but you're going to have slower growth because of that, especially for businesses. So that need for capital is very, very important. I, I don't think it makes sense. I think you're starting to see and you're seeing it here in the U.S. and you're seeing it in Europe that in essence, this is endemic, that we've got to start dealing with this. Um, and China right now is taking a different approach, um, and that's going to have a real impact on growth and on businesses. Can't leave without a basketball question. Uh, second place in the East. You're looking up at the Miami Heat, albeit not that high. You feeling confident about your basketball squad? Oh, I feel really confident. I think for us, Brooke is going to come back. Um, he's been hurt, so things are actually looking really good. Um, I'm actually here in L.A. Um, I was at the Clipper game. I'll be at the Laker game tonight. So I think the team is doing great. Um, I think we are where we need to be. And as Brooke gets back, I think you'll find us uh, competing for another championship. Let me ask you one last question. I just thought of it top of my head as, as we're having this conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm thinking about um, the, the number of African-American coaches in the NBA, right, versus the number that have been in the National Football League, the conversation that's happening over there, whether you think that there's some sort of systemic problem in the National Football League where the majority of, of, of players uh, don't represent what the coaches or, in, in some cases, the front office staff looks like. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there are issues in the NFL. I don't, I don't really know it as well. I think with, with our league, what you're seeing is we've been at the forefront of that, and I think um, we've been doing a great job with that. Um, so I'm more focused on the NBA and what we're doing and how we're bringing things and how we're changing. And I think Adam Silver um, has done a phenomenal job for the league. Yeah. Well, speaking of L.A., um, we'll see you out for the Super Bowl. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. That, that's Mark Lazary uh, joining us now. Let's talk Peloton. It's soaring right now. The company is cutting costs. Its CEO is stepping aside. Obvious question. Should you finally buy the stock now? Is all the damage done? We'll debate that next right here. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? 
Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, shares of Peloton, there they are, 32% today. That follows CEO John Foley stepping down. He'll be replaced by former Spotify and Netflix CFO Barry McCarthy. The firm also pre-announcing a larger-than-expected Q2 loss. Let's bring in Leslie Picker, who's been digging into how much pressure activists have been putting on Peloton. And I suppose, Leslie, it it must be a lot uh, over the last couple of months, (laughs) at least. Oh, yeah. Uh, So it was interesting, Scott, because when Blackwell's capital first surfaced a couple weeks ago, demanding things like a management overhaul and selling the company, I think a lot of people looked at it from face value, which is the fact that Peloton has a dual class share structure. Foley and insiders own 75% of the voting power, only 15% of the economic interest, however. But therefore, you know, any kind of outsider that comes in demanding changes doesn't have much of a leg to stand on. Here we are. We're not quite seeing all of the effects of what Blackwell's capital had been pushing for. We did see Foley step aside. Blackwell's still isn't happy. They still believe that Peloton should not be a standalone company, that it should be sold for at least $65 a share, which is still, you know, not quite where it's trading today. But it definitely shows that management has been paying attention. They know that the stock price has been depressed, and it shows that they're paying attention to shareholders and needed to do something. I mean, Sorkin suggested this morning on Squawk that if you are buying the stock or at least looking at it now as, the, you know, they're dressing it up for, for a deal, he said, not so fast. Um, I'm wondering what the investment community is really thinking the road ahead looks like big picture. I think if you look at today's announcement and kind of reading between the tea leaves as a a recovering M&A reporter, this would be a way to say, here's what we're doing for now. We're going to focus on, you know, rearranging our capital allocation plan. We're going to let this new CEO who's moving, by the way, all the way from California to New York City to take this job. We're going to. Yeah, we're going to let him get acclimated here. So I think this essentially says we are not for sale, at least in the short term, as we try and turn things around, which makes sense. You know, the the stock had been so depressed, no one wants to sell at the levels that it was currently trading. But I would argue that given today's trading action, I don't know how much of that is necessarily a short squeeze per se, but the stock is up 32%, 33% right now, it would indicate that the market doesn't necessarily need to see a sale. They like the changes that were announced this morning, yeah. at least again, in the short term. Sure, no doubt. Les, thanks. That's Leslie Picker following the money. Josh, give me a quick comment on how you see this after this latest bout of news. I think most of what you're seeing is a short squeeze. I think, uh, according to Ortex, about 14% of the float was short. If you look at dark pool uh, short activity, it's way higher. And going into as of the, the close Friday, uh, they say short sellers were already sitting on 250 million in losses 
from those levels. And then you get this big spike today. Um, I think this is much more indicative of people just coming out of this thing uh, at a small loss or maybe a big gain if they were long-term investment shorts. I don't feel like you have like hedge funds and mutual funds being like, I'm super bullish on this new CEO of one of the worst managed companies in the market. I just don't think that's the case. So uh, the company's smart. They're saying we have a plan B. We don't have to sell by making these moves. I agree with that. And then the question is like, how gully is Amazon or Nike? I don't believe the rumors that Apple has any interest. They don't do deals. So that's, that's basically what you have to bet on if you're staying long through the end of today and beyond. Okay. All right, coming up, GM shares. They're taking a hit after a downgrade on the street. Josh and Pete, they're in the name, and somebody else is too, Farmer Jim. What is he doing now? Well, he's doing something with the stock. I'll tell you about it next. General Motors downgraded to equal weight at Morgan Stanley today, the firm cutting its price target to 55 from 75. We've made it our call of the day. The stock's down uh, 3%. Uh, Jim Labenthal's on the phone now. I think he's on the phone. No, there he is. I see his face. Hey, Jim. I'm here with you, Scotty. Let's talk about this. Adam Jonas is a big guy at a big firm. Yeah, yeah. Look, he's a big guy at a big firm, all right? So when he speaks... There's a lot of brokers out there and advisors who go out and sell the stock. That's a mistake here. And we've got to go back a week. These guys had great earnings, GM. They really did. And the stock was down. You have to ask why. And the reason is certain analysts got way ahead of their skis in terms of what they expected. So even though GM beat and guided above consensus, some analysts were disappointed. Now, today we know who that is. At least one of them is Adam Jonas. But I think he's working with his heart and not his mind here. Stock selling at seven times earnings, and that basically is assigning no value to Cruise, which is driving, which now has paying customers in driverless taxis in San Francisco. It, it's basically valuing Bright Drop at zero, which is already delivering electric vans to FedEx and now has Walmart signing up. There's a lot of good things here. By the way, the legacy business, they're increasing production 25%. Seven times earnings? I, I, I just I think he's acting with his heart and not his mind. So you got to get past today. But this is a great buying opportunity. I'm adding. You're adding today. I'm adding today this morning. OK. Um, I mean, he said this. It, this is the downgrade is is triggered by a lower than expected guide. Right. And also talking lower about than, the- lower than his expectation. I'm sorry to interrupt. Lower than his expectations. Not the consensus. He, look, he got out there ahead of himself. He got way in front of his skis, and he's pulling back. It sounds like he's a little ticked off. I mean, I read the note. He sounds a little angry. I, I think he needs to look in the mirror, honestly. Jeez, Jim. I mean, we're talking about Adam Jonas. I mean, I know. Like, he's a big dude at a the, big firm. Right. Well, I you, know. But you said that, and then you poured water all over him. Dumped him. You dumped, I, dunked on like, him. Look, I call it like I see, I call, I call it, like I see it Scott. I actually like Adam. I, I really do respect oh, him. Here we I go just with think the he's making the wrong call here. Here we go with the disclaimer. No, I think he's making the wrong call. Can I be, can I be any clearer, Scott? No. no, you're just teasing me. No, but you I'm being very clear. I think he's making the wrong call. Okay, you didn't let me finish, though. And you say he's doing this with his heart, not his head. I mean, he did use his head to come up with some of the metrics to guide him through the downgrade in which he says, while the sum of the parts potential, you interrupted me when I was reading this, while some of the parts potential still exists, we see a less clear path to realization. 
you just dismiss that out of hand? That's all hard, um, no head? I, listen, I don't want to... Look, I don't want to be dismissive, but I disagree. All right. And here's part of his thesis is that this year is peak earnings. And I've got to tell you, number one, I don't think that's the case. I think this economic expansion has a lot of legs based on infrastructure and all the capex that's going on, all those semiconductor plants. You know, contractors need their their Silverado pickup trucks. But even if this is peak earnings, this is going to be one hell of an earnings year for GM. I wouldn't dismiss that out of hand. Josh, you own it. Yeah, I'm with Jim. I just don't. I have a philosophical question. What is even the point of this? Why? Why do you? Why do you ride a stock down 22 percent with a buy rec from a record high, no fundamental change whatsoever? Decide to do a sum of the parts valuation change in in what you think it's worth. What this is? This is why. If you want to know why there's so much distrust among individual investors for sell side analysts and brokerage firms and Wall Street. Because it's just stupid. Like, at least wait for the stock to come back a little bit or, or do it at a high then. Like, do it after it runs up 20%. I have no idea what benefit this is other than trade, uh, trading commissions being generated on the desk because they said something new or something provocative. Honestly, it, okay. it's, it's a clown grade. It's such a waste of time. All right. Look, I... I don't know Jeez, if Jonas, you think I threw shade. I don't know if Jonas is booked on, on any programs coming up, not, but I I would assume that if he is It's not he, personal. It's just it's just this they do this they do this on Wall Street all the time. It's it it doesn't benefit investors who are following the research and I, like if, if something fundamental had changed. It was a clown say, grade, okay, but it's not personal. Not, all they're right. doing their job. They're doing their job. Okay. They're doing their job. But in this case, it just makes no sense to me. OK, Farmer uh, Jim, thank you. It's good to see you. Stay with us. Pete's got unusual activity Sorry, coming up next. The judge. All right, Pete, unusual. Tell us. All right, I'm going to start off with BP, so I'm going right into energy. We're talking about oil here. Now, when we look at this one, Scott, it's been very, very active. Today, it's pulling back. We see what's going on with the price of crude right now. It's down about 2.5%, so the stock is trading about 32.60, somewhere in that range. On this pullback, we're starting to see two huge trades. I'll focus on the first one, which is the closer one. April. They're buying the April 34 calls, a little over 20,000 of those calls for about a dollar and a half or a dollar and a quarter. Very interesting to see that. They're also selling upside and selling downside puts. Just so you know, that just means this is a very, very bullish trade with a little bit of a cap to the upside. But they're not just doing it in April. They're actually all the way out to June as well, going in an even higher strike. So very aggressive. Another 20,000 of those. Next, I got AES. Now, this is power. We're talking about utilities and all the rest of that. Usually not that exciting. But with the stock trading a little over 22, we've got the August 23 calls. 5,000 of those. One single print for $1.50. That says a lot. I think this stock's going higher as well. I'm in both these names right now. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you. We'll do final trades next. Another reminder, the Halftime Report is going to be live from SoFi Stadium this Friday ahead of the big game. Jeffrey Gundlach, the CEO of Double Line Capital, will be with us. Al Michaels, he's calling the game. And he's going to be with us as well. We cannot wait for that and hope you'll join us 12 noon Eastern on Friday. Let's do final trade. Stephanie Link, you're first. 
Stanley Black and Decker was downgraded yesterday. I totally disagree. Down 14 percent. I think a lot of the bad news is already in the stock, meaning margins under pressure. Mm-hmm. I like the renovation and restoration cycle. 13 times earnings. I thought of you when I saw that downgrade, so I'm glad that you addressed it today. Jason Snipe. Sure. Really like Qualcomm here. Another really strong print. EPS growth. Nice stellar sales. Uh, a lot of value here, trading at 15 to 16 times. Qualcomm, stay long. Okay, Jim Labenthal would agree with you on that one, I am sure. Pete Najarian. AMD hit yesterday. It's hitting again today. I think AMD is going a little bit higher, Scott. They're looking at the 128 level. I think it goes higher than that. Okay, and downtown Josh Brown. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway B shares. Stock is an absolute horse all year. Two points away from a record high. Mm. Has all the right components underneath the umbrella. Uh, in terms of the sectors that are working this year. I really like this name. All right. Good stuff, guys. Thanks for watching, everybody. The Exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.